Spirit is lightning. Well, good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here, as it always is. Another beautiful Sabbath day. So today's topic is patience. And I think that all of us would all probably agree in this life we could all sometimes use a little bit more of that human, that, that virtue, right? Uh, a few weeks ago I did give a message that was in the book of James. We've done a study on James. I've done a series on James. But in the process of Doing that study, I was reading through James and through some other things that I was going through and just that have come up in my life. This particular set of passages we're going to look at today kind of resonated with me. And I wanted to bring it today because uh, the, the, the title of this message is Hearts Established in Patience. You know, we, we just read, for example, the prayer request. And we know loved ones going through different trials, going through different things, and you know, it's easy in this life, in this Christian journey, right, that we, we, we sometimes ask God subconsciously, God, where are you at? When's your kingdom going to be here? When, when's your son going to return? When are these things going to happen that we've all believed in? This is the basis of, of what we're looking forward to. And so I want to start in James, the fifth chapter, verses 7 through 11. We can talk about patience in general, but today, specifically... I'm talking about patience as it relates to our Christian walk and our waiting and longing for the kingdom of God to come. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11 says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and later rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So here in these passages, James gives us this exhortation to be patient specifically when it comes to us waiting for the promises that all of us are waiting for. So this word patient, I was just, I wanted to bring this out. The Greek word is makrothumio, and it has a variety of meanings, and it's used in different ways, but essentially it's, it means to be long-enduring, to endure patiently, or wait with patient expectation. In this context that we just read, we see that James uses the word therefore, which shows that what he is saying is related to what he had already mentioned. Now, as I talked about, we've done a study on James before. I've done a series several years ago on this letter. And we know that James talks about a lot of different things, but at the heart of what he talks about, a large portion of it is about the trials that we face in this life about the injustices in the world, the rich taking advantage of the poor, evildoers seeming to flourish, all of which make, may, may make one's patience, our patience, difficult, especially as it relates to the coming of the Lord. 
And as I discussed in our last uh, sermon that I gave, Wisdom from Above, which I talked a lot in James, one of the things I brought out was is that there was a group of people during this time of the war, you know, in history known as the Zealots. And the Zealots was a political religious group, a, Jew, a Jewish political religious group, who really they had become impatient because their whole agenda was to try to take the Roman Empire by force, drive them out, and perhaps maybe force what they believed to be the kingdom of God back into the land of Israel. So in light of this, this is what James is talking about. And I think that all of us can relate to this. We see our current society that we live in. There may have been 2,000 years, 2,000 plus years since these events took place that James was writing about. But we know that we are still in the same human condition. I mean, we still see even much more, maybe even than them, injustices in this world. Trials, they may look a little bit differently, but we see evil become rampant. We see people in our day and age call evil good and good evil. So James, as he moves through this, he gives this example of a farmer. I'm no farmer. Uh, some of you may have a background in farming. Uh, my nephew, Brooks Wilhoyt, some of you may have remember him. Uh, he's put upper 20s or so, but he is become a farmer himself uh, here locally in Claremore. And so there's probably not a better example of an individual or a, a, an industry that where you have to practice patience than farming, right? It's a process that you cannot speed up. Now, I'm sure there's different methods and mechanisms that they can use to make things more efficient, but you're really subject to the different parts of the process when it comes to farming. And so a farmer, they must prepare the field. They got to plant the crop and wait for the full cycle of maturation, the maturity of the crop before it becomes ripened. Now farming obviously goes on all around the world and there's some similarities I'm sure that all farmers have. But depending upon where you are on this earth, there's different climates, there's different environments and things like that. And in this specific environment, that James was talking, you know, the audience that he was talking to, the land of Palestine or the Asia Minor, this Middle Eastern area of the world, it's the region of the Mediterranean that Palestine is located in. Farmers were reliant on two specific rains, the early rains of the late autumn and the later rains of early spring. Both rains were necessary as the early rains got the crop started, allowing initial growth. And the late rains enabled the filling out and the ripening of the grain. So the far, for the farmer, patience for these rains was imperative. And I think that when we see what James has to say in his letter, it's clear. James wants us to understand one thing. We are blessed in this life. Every day that we wake up, there's a blessing. But he wants us to remember something. We're primarily cultivating in this life. We're preparing in this life. God's preparing us as the first fruits, and we're not the harvester. This life matters, and the things that we do in this life matters, but ultimately, God is the harvester. The end game is not in this world. 
It's in what this world's going to become, of course, when Christ returns. But the end game is not this world in the here and now. We know that there's a future that we have and a future kingdom. And so as James has given this you know, story about the farmer and things like that, I want to go to Deuteronomy real quick because I think that many of those who are reading James's letter, they would have caught on to what Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, had to say, verses 8 through 15. They would have been very familiar with this set of string of passages. Moses tells the children of Israel in verse 8 of Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them, their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you have sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable, vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it. From the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and shut up the heavens so that there may be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. So I want us to notice those two verses back in verse 10 and 11 when God says the land you are going to possess is not like a land, it's not like the land in Egypt. You see in Egypt watering was different. They relied on the river, the Nile River, and they would build irrigation canals that would go to the fields and that would water the fields. But in this new land, it's not like that. You didn't have rivers to rely on, but rather you had to rely on God himself. Literally, rain from heaven is what it says, which would take much more patience and faith, of course. I want us to just think about that parallel between the Israelites and how they got their water when they were in Egypt versus how they got their water whenever they were in the promised land. You know, in our former lives, when we were in Egypt, we walked, we saw things in accordance with the ways of this world. We didn't live in faithfulness to God, but we were, in a lot of ways, our own masters. We judged success on what this world says success was. And we relied on this world and ourselves to provide the water in our lives. But in Christ, we have come to understand life in a new way. 
We have come to know that the Creator God, who is the one who brings the true blessing, that provides the rains from heaven, the rains that bring the divine nutrients that we need in this life. No matter the harshness of the environment, and you think back to the farmer, the farmer is a tough life because you're praying constantly, not just for rain, but you don't want too much rain, right? You don't want too much of a storm come through. You don't want tornadoes to come through. You don't want hailstorms to come through. But we know that this life, it brings those sometimes. In this life, we have the hailstorms and unfortunate tornadoes that pop up from time to time. And we know that these things that in this life comes to us, that still God is the one who is watering and providing everything we need for the maturation process of ourselves. And so when I was thinking about this idea of what Deuteronomy had to say, and I was just trying to parallel that to our life, you know, the, the way that we thought about life in our former lives versus how we think about it now in Christ. But if you think about it, the Israelites and us, there's some similarities, but there's some differences. But when we think about it, What made them turn from God? Usually it was the pressure, right? It was the pressure. It was the circumstances that they found themselves in and the fear. And so I was thinking about that in our own life, the patience that we have to have. And sometimes in the process of the living this life with the pressures, with unfortunate circumstances sometimes coming our way. And I think that this is why James is bringing this out because he knows he's talking to a group of people who are under tremendous stress, trials, persecution, all at the same time seeing what seems to be evil flourish in this world. And it's possible to sometimes just think to yourself, man, I give up. I mean, it seems like everyone else, they're more blessed than I am, and I'm trying to be faithful to God. It's easy sometimes to maybe lose that patience, give up, and of course, what comes with it, as James talks about, is maybe a negative attitude, grumbling, washing our hands of it, just walking away, and things like that. And so, I was trying to think of this, you know, all the examples of patience that we can go to in the Bible. There's many of them, but one of them, and I, I think it's kind of related to what we talked about in the Bible study today. It's not from Matthew, but it's from Luke, and it's really regarding the story of Jesus' birth, a story that has always just really had an impact on me when I read it. A very obscure individual by the name of Simeon in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, the context is Jerusalem, of course, just after the birth of Christ, which was, most scholars put just before the turn of the century, around 6 to 4 B.C., and it was in the temple, that's why it was in Jerusalem, where Mary and Joseph had taken Jesus to perform what was required of them according to the law for those who were newborns. And we read this story, and you'll see why I wanted to bring this out of, as an example of patience in just a minute, but we read this story in chapter 2, verses 25, through 34, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation 
of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, my eyes, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and, and, and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So we have this individual named Simeon. He's mentioned nowhere else in the scriptures, just this obscure character that kind of comes up. And in fact, we don't even know much about him. We know that he seems to be someone that is older in age by the fact that the, uh, the scriptures mentions that he's ready for death. Uh, and it's also apparent that in some way he's in the temple area, so he has something to do, most likely is an Israelite, although Luke does not tell us from what tribe he's from. So we know he's older, probably an Israelite, don't know what tribe, and the two characteristics about him other than those genealogical facts is that he is just and devout. He's just signifying that he was righteous, he feared God, and he was just before people, meaning that people he demonstrated through his life, through his actions, that he truly was upright. And he was devout by meaning that it means that he must have been careful and pious to carry out his righteous duties. Now, the primary aspect that I want to bring out and why I wanted to give this as an example of someone who was very patient was the words that we read when it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. There's no doubt that this Simeon was looking forward to what he had always grown up learning about, what he had always grown up believing the restoration of Israel. As an Israelite, he probably grew up understanding his heritage. He must have read about how God, or at least if he couldn't read, at least he heard the stories, how God had established Israel and had delivered them from Egypt and how he established them as in the land of promise. And he probably knew the story about the splendor of the united Israelite empire, or not empire, but kingdom under King Solomon. But this wasn't the case in his life at all. His life had not seen the free and sovereign nation of the people's history, of his people's history. His country wasn't what he read about. The land he lived in was anything but a sovereign nation. Rather, what he experienced growing up was nothing but bondage of tyrannical Roman rule. And so we look at this gentleman and we see his age, and there's many of them probably like this. But just think about that story that this individual grew up hearing about all these things, and even in his old age, he's patiently waiting for the promise. He had patience. Despite his circumstances, he still believed. He still believed what God had inspired the prophets to write about. And that is what he was waiting for. 
It's interesting because you look at the word waiting in the Greek and it gives the idea to wait in confidence and patience. To wait in confidence and patience. And Simeon had this and it was demonstrated by the hope that was within him. And because he had this hope, he was blessed. He was blessed at his old age to be able to see the glimpse, the very beginning stages of what God was doing through actually allowing the Messiah to be, to enter into this world. And so I just want us to think to ourselves, think about what we have in common with this individual, this obscure individual, many people that we read stories about, we know so much history about, we know very little about this individual, but we have a lot in common with him. We have a lot in common with him. He's a story of an individual who was waiting for a lot of the same things that we're waiting for, right? Now, he probably didn't understand everything, obviously, like maybe we do, because we've been given the privilege of living a little bit later, understanding how the events of Jesus' life unfolded and things like that, understanding a little bit more about the nature of the kingdom of God, about this idea of the salvation part, the making a way for human beings to be able to enter into the kingdom of God by means of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that there would be a future, another time that Jesus would return after his first coming to establish a lot of those things that the people living in this time thought Jesus was going to do during his first coming. This individual, Simeon, in my opinion, did exactly what James encourages us to do. He established his heart in patience. That is, he was steadfast his faith and it gave him the patience that he needed to carry on despite all of the things that came at him or come at us in this life so in light of that I'd like to just ask the question what is it that we need to produce this patience you see I think that you know there's other things that have to be in line in our life before we just become patient. The Bible has a lot to say about this virtue of patience, and our English language also has different ideas about this word, uh, patience. If you were to read a dictionary, I just picked the American Heritage Dictionary of the English language, one of the ideas that the noun patience brings out is the idea of having the capacity to endure hardship, difficulty, or inconvenience without complaint. And it's it says, patience emphasizes calmness, self-control, and the willingness or ability to tolerate delay. Now, when it comes to our Christian walk, I believe there's some prerequisites for us to have patience like this. I think that there's a biblical perspective. When we look at the whole totality of the Bible's message, one key ingredient, or a couple key ingredients, but one particular I want to bring out today is hope. You have to have hope to have the biblical patience that I think James is talking about. In the New Testament, patience is closely connected to hope, and hope is closely connected to faith. Many of the references to patience is usually comparing and contrasting afflictions in this life, trials that we have, persecutions, to that of joy and the promises ahead of us. 
And this is especially the case when we read the epistle of James. Think about this sequence in this way. Because we have faith, we are enabled to have hope because the faith we have gives us a confident expectation in what we hope for. You see, faith is the belief that we have, and because we have that faith, it fuels and births our hope, which is a futuristic, it's a confident expectation of things that are going to happen. And this hope creates in us patience because we are hopeful at the, at the end of our patience, that we believe and we know and it's, it's secured. It's as good as it already happening, even though we know it's in the future. That is what brings about the patience, I believe, that James is talking about. Let's go to Romans, the eighth chapter. We've all read this before. A beautiful string of passages by the Apostle Paul. It says in James 8, verse 18, it says, For I consider, it, consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. This is the hope that we have. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. With perseverance. The Apostle Paul is drawing on the promises that we have been given, and that is the eternal life in God's kingdom. When finally we shall be clothed with that immortality and, that, and delivered from our present bodies of sin, that are subject to sin, carnality, corruption, death, even the presence of sin. And this is also the time that we will see Jesus Christ as king fix the injustices of this world. Those things that we constantly are reminded of, of, of just how far away this world is from God and the ways of God, we will see be rectified when this takes place. And much of this reminds me of what was expected by Simeon back in Luke, the second chapter. He had hoped in something he had not seen yet. All he had was the promises and the faith in those promises, which created hope, which instilled in him a patience, a heart that was established in patience. And we know that we have not had those things that we await for, God's kingdom hasn't been established here. We still see these afflictions go on among brethren, among individuals in the world, evil. But we understand through our faith and our hope that these things will happen, that these promises will come to pass. Let's go back to James real quick. James, the fifth chapter. Let's read that second part. Verse 9, James 5. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. 
Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And so James encourages us through the example of the prophets. These prophets, we can pick many of them. We can pick all the way back from Moses himself, even Abraham, to Isaiah, to Daniel, to Jeremiah, all of these individuals who rose up, who had a faithfulness of God, who were faithful in the, in the, in the, the duty, the stewardship that God had given them, and to proclaim the things of God and write them down. And some of those things weren't probably easy to write down because some of those individuals were writing down condemnation to their own people. But in faithfulness, they did write them down. And many of them did suffer great persecution. You look at individuals like Daniel, who was blessed, but also had individuals with him who weren't so blessed. And some of these individuals, of course, themselves died. And they died without receiving the totality of the promises themselves. To this very day, as Hebrews tells us, Many of these prophets have not received the promises, the same promises that me and you wait for. But here's the thing about them. They wrote and they lived as if they had received them. That's how faithful they were. That's how much faith that they demonstrated. Let's ask the question about ourselves and spin it around. Now, did they have human error? Of course. Did they have sin in their life? Of course. None other than Christ has been perfect. But what we do see is these individuals, despite the circumstances they were in, were faithful to God. The question we have to ask ourselves, do we live our life as if the promises have already been obtained? Showing our faith to God. Showing how much hope that we have and confident expectation that God is going to do the things that he promises that he's going to do. Let's go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We've all read this before. Uh, we're going to skip Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter, the men and women of the Bible of faith, or some of them. But we have this string of passages in, in verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, again, another term that's signifying based upon what was previously being said, which was, talking about the faith of those who have become before us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We know that this chapter right before was the faith chapter. And we have been able to, in our life, obviously people that we know are not in the Bible, but many of us, we can think about our brethren that are in close proximity, some of maybe of our own family members, maybe brethren from our own church that have passed away, that died being a part of this cloud of witness, being faithful. Maybe they're not biblical 
you know, characters, but they're definitely individuals that have left this earth before us. And they left this earth running their race before us and become, you know, a part of that cloud of witnesses of thousands of individuals that have been faithful to God, lived this life despite hardships, and endure to the very end. Not perfectly, but await sleeping in Christ and await their inheritance, just like the other ones that we read about here in the scriptures. And so I'm going to skip down and conclude. I know that we're kind of running out of time here. Uh, but I just wanted to bring these things to us today, the things about, you know, the, the idea of patience, especially in light of what we're dealing with in this world and how, what we're dealing with personally. It's difficult sometimes. You know, one of the things that we have to have patience for is we have to remain being a witness to this world, despite what happens in the world, what happens in our personal life. And it's difficult. It's very difficult. Patience is one of those things, when we look back in history, that absolutely mesmerized and amazed individuals in history. There's been books written about early, you know, early Christian history and the patience that was endured by some of those early Christians that in the face of persecution and trials, they still chose, to, in, the, in the face of that, to proclaim the name of Christ, to remain faithful. And it actually became a witness to some of those onlookers saying, what great faith. Surely God truly has to be with these individuals to be able to withstand what they're withstanding and still hold true and faithful to their beliefs. And so patience is very important in our Christian walk. We are called to establish our hearts in patience, to be steadfast in our hope, and live a life that is patiently with confident expectation that God will act in due time. And one of the reasons that this is the case is that when we lose patience, we also start to lose the ability to be a witness to the world, and we also start to hinder ourselves in following what Jesus called the love commandment, love thy neighbor as yourself. And James alludes to this about the effects of losing patience in this Christian walk. All of us go through different things, experience different hardships, and are tested in different ways. Going through them is not an easy task, and neither was it for the men and women who have become examples of people of faith. As we close here today, I want all of us to be encouraged by what James has to say about us establishing our hearts and patience as we wait for Christ and the promises that God awaits for us.